And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 75 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Tuesday, April 21st, 2015. Well, folks, here we go. Chewy, we're home. That's right. Last week was a really, 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 really good week for nerds. We were treated to a whole slew of Geek Fest movies. The first, of course, was the new Star Wars The Force Awakens official teaser number two. Then we got our first long look at Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice, where we see absolute power corrupts absolutely. And Batman asking Superman if he bleeds, which looks just awesome. Then just yesterday, Jurassic World came out with a new trailer, which is just awesome with the quote, she's now killing for sport. And then finally, we had the Fantastic Four, which features my favorite, favorite villain of all time as a kid, Doctor Doom. And well, I had to go crack open my old kid box and pull the Doctor Doom action figure out I had. So put all that together and you've got every reason to skip this week's show and just crank up YouTube and watch trailers. But don't do that. Joe and I are here and we are your father. We're bringing you the highs of content in Cloud City and the dry native ads humor of Tatooine as we bring a lightsaber to the dark night returning and a red sun rising. We've got all the content marketing news that's more powerful than an experimental ship ready for interstellar travel. We've got rants like Ben Grimm's rock hard abs and raves like Johnny's flame on. And we bring it all to you like the genetically modified velociraptor that we are because just like John Habend, Joe and I spare no expense. So let's get to the opening panel of this comic book and content marketing and open it up for what it's time. And for that, it's time for me to introduce my co-host, my friend, my colleague, and the Admiral Akbar of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? You mean after all that, you pulled out Admiral Akbar? <laughs> well, he is. He is the Admiral, the ruler of all the, the sort of rebel forces. And so... You know, and he's orange, right? So uh, that's how that's why I went with the admiral. Oh there. yeah, yeah. I mean, I can I can live with that. I would have preferred some, you know, something from A New Hope, but you know, you know, I, I can live with Akbar. You know, he was the the reason I picked him is because he is the over ruler of the entire rebel army. So that's why. Isn't that, that the one that says it's a trap? Yes, of course. Oh. Yeah, it's a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Happy uh, 75th anniversary. Absolutely happy 75th to you. You had a word for this that came from a movie. What was it? Oh, it was the Hunger Games. It was the, uh, oh, the quarter quell. The quarter quell. Because I know you're not a Hunger Games fan, but in that movie, they, um, which is in the second version, when Jennifer Lawrence's character has to go back into uh, Hunger Games, it's the 75th anniversary, which they call the quarter quell, and they bring all the past winners back together to kill each other. Nice. Nice. Yeah, it's, uh, and that's where the whole thing, and I'm actually looking forward to, so the, the final, final one is coming up, I think, later this year, maybe? I, I, I guess. I, I know, you I don't watch it. it. I you should, you would dig yet. it. I mean, you... Well, I, I, I watched, look, I, I watched the second movie, um, and I really liked it. I watched it on an airplane when I was on a flight to Sydney or London or something, and I watched it, and I really, really liked it. I thought, you know, I thought, um, uh, you know, all the acting was great. I thought the story was wonderful. And I, what I, from what I hear, the movie's actually a lot less brutal than the books are. That the book, the books are pretty brutal. I've read all the books, and it's it's worth they're worth reading, yeah. in my opinion. I mean, the, the movies are great, uh, but of course, I always like the books better than the same with Harry Potter. I've always enjoyed the books better than the movies, but you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> it's 
can't get you coming over. Just like I can't get you to turn into a basketball fan. And no, can't get you to Hunger Games. But yeah. we'll always have the Cowboys, I well, guess. And so. and Star Wars and Star Trek and and Star. Well, hey, I'm looking. Boy, what a year! I oh, am super so excited. Fantastic. It's I mean, just going to be great. We've got and we've got Avengers coming up. Yep, absolutely. Avengers is is I think very close. Well, it's Memorial Day, I think. And anyway, it's 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 yeah. It's going to be. It's got a great year for comic book movies for sure. So do we uh, do we have any news? We this do week, have or? some news. So um, we've got some good news uh, uh, this uh, this show. So I, we want to start. Um, well, today, in fact, is you know whatever you like, Google Geddon, Mobile Geddon, whatever Geddon you like, um, having to do with mobile search results. Today is the day, um, the April twenty first, and we want to start the show with a little bit of a correction because. It seems that we were a little remiss, uh, among other people, um, in sort of clarifying the fact that uh, the today the search results that are being optimized for Google are only for mobile results. And a big hat tip to Bernie Borges for teeing us up for this um, and giving us this correction. But that is the real key here is, is that the search results that are being bonafide here are only for those search results that you get on a mobile device, not for what you're seeing on a desktop device. So that, I, that I got correct. that right, right? That that is that is and Bernie, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. That's what I love about well, Bernie is is one of the leading experts in, in SEO. Uh, so thankfully, we don't have to be, and we could just rely, exactly. <laughs> rely yeah. on our audience to correct that. us. Yeah, nobody wants whenever that. we're wrong, which seems to be more often lately. <laughs> so yeah, so apparently, uh, any anything on the mobile uh, find mobile search results is what's going to be affected starting today. I right. Guess, uh, you know, we're, we're this is what ten twenty one a.m. Eastern time, so ten hours ago, <laughs> right. the world has changed. Oh my god! And we. <laughs> If this is what we're worried about, it's 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 a it's a sad day. <laughs> you know, well, actually, we're not. What's interesting, and, and I wasn't even going to talk about this, but I just watched uh, Rand Fishkin's Whiteboard Friday from last week, and I right. had a couple people send it to me. Uh, I wanted to, let me give a shout out here. Who was that? The, oh, Ricky Shockey. Thanks, Ricky. So he she, he sent, and I seen it. But Rand did his whiteboard Friday all about the fact that Google's changes are setting it up where you can't think about search engine optimization first. You need to think about first building a loyal audience and then building, you know, kind of baking your search engine optimization into that, which I thought was so interesting from Rand. You know, Rand's one of the leading SEO people in the world to be speaking sure. in a content yeah. marketing world. And so it's a real maybe we'll put that in the show notes as well. But it's it's Moz.com's Whiteboard Friday from last week, and it's all about um, audience building. And and this the whole I thing was that. interesting. Well, because and he goes through and if you've ever seen Rand's Whiteboard Fridays, they're fantastic. He goes through on a whiteboard, obviously, and says, Here's what's going on. But basically what's interesting is says it, Google is playing into the hands of domains that are are able that you're able to go back multiple times to because the history of Google plays personalization the history plays such an important role in how you see um, see results and what I didn't know maybe you knew this I didn't know it 17 percent I mean I wrote this down there's 10 domains in the world that are responsible for 17 percent of all page one queries Wow Amazon Yahoo those types of companies. Oh my gosh, I had no Isn't that idea. something? That's a great. That's a, that's an interesting statistic. So what he's talking about is is that and, you know, it really fits in their whole idea of building a content brand. If you can build a 
go-to resource where people go to over and over and over again, I mean, like your Amazon.coms, a real resource, then Google's going to do a lot of that hard work for you and make you found. Sure. Because you're that kind of a resource. So it's, it's just super interesting. I've never heard an SEO guy say, look, SEO is important, I, I but it's not it, yeah. primary. Right, it's building you need an to audience. Go build a, and the, so the whole Whiteboard Friday is about here's how you build a loyal audience. And the first one was consistently valuable targeted niche content. <laughs> oh, hey, 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 somebody should do a podcast on that. That would be somebody, a really boy, if cool. There was idea. only a podcast yeah, on that, that kind really of thing. focused is on it, content. Yeah. Is well, that a thing now? <laughs> yeah. Well, it segues beautifully into our top story for the show. Which is comes to us courtesy of Forbes.com, which is the ways content marketing is going to change in 2015. Um, and this is an article that, as I mentioned, is featured on Forbes, and it and it talks about how content is becoming a big thing. And uh, so, just to what we were talking about there, and it then goes into all of the different ways and seven specific ways that content is going to change based on um, what's going to happen within the next year or so. And it's based on this survey that was done by Smart Insights, where they interviewed 600 readers. um, And they came away with about 30%, 29.6 to be exact, who believe content will be their top digital marketing tool this year. And they say it Interestingly enough, that it finished just ahead of big data, marketing automation, mobile marketing. It well surpassed social media marketing, SEO, paid advertising, and a slew of other marketing tactics. And then it goes on to go through the seven, um, which we can go through a couple of them here. I don't think we need to go through all seven here. But really interesting, I thought, Joe. What did you think about this? I th- <laughs> the first thing I thought of was... Is this? Did somebody take an article from last year and just put two thousand? <laughs> yeah, right. Just somebody getting paid it's by the, the word. Here? No, oh, it's, come a, it's on a now. It's a fine article, <laughs> but it's the same thing. That's right. Oh, we're going to invest more yeah. in content creation. There's more focus on personal, you know, visual content, uh, local measurement tools. I just was like, here. But here's my question. You can go. Through, maybe I'm sure you have a take on this. But my thing was number six. So this is where I sort of had an uh, interesting epiphany here. Oh, I have one on oh. number two. So, okay, okay let's I'll talk, talk about six, six and then you we'll talk, talk about, about two. two. So number sure. six is lines between content and social blur. I'm going to read a little bit of this, and I want to get your take. Content marketing and social media are already so intertwined that it can be difficult to separate the two from each other. And I was like, <laughs> what? Really? What? <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> what? Social, yeah. social media... Uh, at least for for those listening, those are the distribution tools. I know that everybody thinks, "Oh, what's social media?" Social media, when we talk about it, is that's how we're dist- we can distribute it through a series of social media platforms: Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and and of course, there's conversations and communication that go along with that. But the content is what you put into that pipeline, right? That social media pipeline. Right. How do content marketing right. and social media become so intertwined? It's difficult to separate. And I'm I'm asking an, a question. An honest question, because I'm totally confused by that. Uh, well, to quote, uh, you know, uh, Vladimir Putin, no, it's not. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> just, I mean, that's the just. I mean, it's that simple. They're not. <clears throat> they're not so intertwined that they're that they're inseparable. I mean, it's. I guess what he's trying to say there is that the idea that what we're doing on social is so 
intertwined to the process of how we're managing content that it's hard to separate where, you know, in other words, it's hard. I'm, I'm even having, no, I'm having a tough time even describing well, so this here, in a way. But, but it, don't you think it's become a little <clears throat> bit, e- I don't, don't want to say it's easier because it's, it's still challenging for most organizations to communicate through social media channels. But don't you think it's been easier since we've sort of said, look, yes, we need to have a content marketing strategy. We need to understand what the goal is, what our audience is. And then there's a whole slew of channels we can communicate through. And we can uh, publish our content on these channels and we can communicate how we need to communicate with them on those channels. Email, we've got print magazines, you've got in-person events, you've got a whole series of social media options for you. Isn't it, don't you think it's easier now that we look at it that way and say, look, here, you know, here's Facebook or here's Twitter and here's what you can do and here's what you should do instead of just thinking about social media as such a different thing. I can't put my arms around it. I think it's changed in the last 18 months where I think people can put their arms around it and they're starting to make a choice. But there's no blurring, in my opinion. I think it's – yes, I, I absolutely. I think when we focus on the media part of social media instead of the social part of social media, it, it, it definitely helps marketers get their arms around the idea because ultimately what we're doing here is we're getting our content in front of an audience and, quite frankly, we're – earning through that content some level of conversation because of it, right? So that's, you know, as a promotional tool or as a tool that helps a message get spread or shared, probably the the better word, is that is an easier concept to get idea around social media rather than sort of the idea that it's going to become some great little community that we can build an audience within that platform and ultimately you know, monetize them over time, which I think was the original idea, right? Which, which is we're going to, you know, throw away our websites, we're going to throw away our blogs, and we're going to move everything over to Facebook, or we're going to move everything over to LinkedIn, or we're going to move everything over to XYZ new social channel, and really create our presence there. And that became sort of a undercurrent of a marketing strategy and everybody went well you know and it was so confusing and everybody's like i don't know how that works and we can't really talk to these people and then it just became increasingly clear that you weren't going to be able to talk to them as you wanted to and so the social part of social media has become this idea of content pollination or content promotion where we're moving content through this channel in order for it to be shared, to pull them back into something that we do control, an owned media property or a website or a landing page or a registration page or whatever you want to call it. That, to me, seems easier to get my arms around than the idea of where am I building yet another community. Exactly. So we can make a decision on here's here's what we're going to publish and how we're going to publish and the timing that we're going to publish the content. And then after that, we can decide how we're going to interact. Yeah, because in some cases you might decide I'm not going to interact. I'm just going to publish. It's just one way. Yeah, and then other ways you might say no, no, no. There's an opportunity to communicate like a lot of companies do for customer service. That's exactly back right. and forth. So exactly what was your What was your number? My your number, number two, two was in the enhanced focus on personalization, and I think you know there's so much buzz around the idea of personalization right now, and I think it's mis mis misplaced. Um, personalization absolutely has its place once customers become known. Once they, you know, once we start developing content for a known customer and and, and idea, what happens is is that where many marketers are using 
technology to personalize content that, quite frankly, A, they don't have the capacity to create the amount of content that, in other words, they're spending their time personalizing content, and the bucket of content they have to draw from won't be personalized anyway. So they're basically spending a lot of time against something that they can't do anyway. And then two, what is being mistaken for personalization is sort of the, hi, Joe, welcome back, instead of sort of delivering a better experience for that person um, or persona, even better, over time. And so the personalization as a concept is so hot right now, I see it being a big distraction in many ways, not just uh, sort of a sort of a, you know, as an optimal strategy. So I'd much rather marketing departments focus on creating amazing, remarkable experiences than personalizing crappy experiences to somebody. That's you're no, you're right. I would take this one out and say something like focus on multiple niche audiences would be a would be a trend. That's right. It's much, much, much more important because that's the issue that we're still seeing where you have large companies, large enterprises that are focusing on just a few audiences when they need to be going deep into you know many, many different niche audiences. Which, by the way, is not easy to do. Right. But instead of taking your broad content, it's probably not that relevant and try to personalize it. Exactly. God help us all. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you just try to focus on some core audiences that you can really be the leading informational resource. That's and right. Just go there. That's right. Yeah. And I don't, and, and, and I don't mind it as a prediction. Like when he says <clears throat> there's an enhanced focus on personalization, I think that's largely true. I think my, you know, mine is okay, but yes, there there is going to be an enhanced focus on personalization, but it's the wrong focus, right? It's, we don't need to be there. So, you know, focus on as you just said, niche audiences, or as I call it, personaization rather than personalization. Yeah. Is there anything else before we go on to the next one? Is there anything that you want to add to this other than the ones that were? No, I think, you know, I mean, I think generally speaking, it's a it's a it's a laundry list of all of the things that, you know, content will go local. I agree. The lines between content and social we talked about, you know, the collaborative marketing rebounds. I think that's an interesting concept. Um, And the better use of visual content like images and video and that sort of thing. Well, of course, you know, video is the new black these days. So it's it's you know, it's it. I think otherwise it's a pretty it's a pretty safe laundry list of stuff that it's you know, it's just a good review of, of. of, of, of what's going on in the in, in the space right now? Yeah, I still. I'm, I mean, I'm surprised that we're not seeing the whole audience development focused here. I am too. I just, yeah, I, I, I am too. I, just, I continue to to not see it. Yeah. I continue to read these articles, and we cover them every week. And where's the focus on subscription and audience? I don't. I don't know. Maybe we're I, I doing wrote, our jobs I wrote, wrong. Yeah, man. I wrote. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, we talked about it at exec, exec, at uh, executive forum and. I ended up writing about it in my LinkedIn uh, weekly article about where are the audience development tools, right? Why has no marketing automation platform come out and say, we are an audience development tool? You know, from a marketing standpoint. From a marketing standpoint, yes. right? You know, why have why hasn't Marketo done this? Why hasn't Oracle done this with their Eloqua? Why hasn't HubSpot done it? Why hasn't really any of the marketing automation tools that are out there come out and say, we have an audience development version of our tool, and it wouldn't take my. I mean, it's different. There are different things about how we build an audience versus move a lead through a funnel, and there there are some different functionality. But there, it's the closest thing we have right now, and I, it's it baffles me why we haven't. If you search for audience development tools on Google, 
Speaking of Google search results, no marketing automation tools come up. Hello, marketing automation providers. That's an opportunity right now. Anyway, that's well. It, it just back to your. You know, you did your your presentations in Sydney and Singapore based on your book experiences. Which when you, so look at when you talk about marketing automation, they're talking about oh, we got to go through the buyer's journey and we've got to get the right content at the right time once we know them. And and yes, I get that right. And yep. it's also very difficult to do. You really talk about simplifying that process and creating, you know, that, hey, let's create an amazing awareness experience and then bring them in as an audience, as a as a loyal. It's almost like you could take the contrarian approach if you're a marketing automation player and say, look, yeah, I get the whole buyer's journey thing. Yeah, we buy into that, but it's hard to do. So maybe we should start (laughs) a little bit simpler and just focus on building an amazing loyal audience at these particular levels. Or once we get a customer, just creating amazing content for them to keep them on as customers as long as we possibly, or have them buy more or whatever. Exactly. It just seems like we get so stuck in the minutiae of that messy middle, as you've called it forever. That's right. That's right. And we sort of lose our way because we're trying to We're trying to, to map individual things. pieces of content to every micro decision instead of focusing on just one fantastically great, amazing, remarkable experience. And it's just, it's, it's, we get lost in the weeds before we even go into the field, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's fascinating to but me. You know what's, it, and while we're staying on this topic too long, I'm sorry, but I got to say it's this. It's all right. Look, yeah. at, and look, at the, look at the greatest media companies right now. Right. They don't do this. Right. They focus on just amazing amazing targeted content on a consistent basis, and they build a, a loyal audience, and these people will run through brick walls for them. That's right. Well, we've, what if we, you just did that? We talked about this last show, which was, you know, it, 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 if you look at and this is the this is the part where I'm still wrestling in my head, and I'm starting to make a list, actually, of all of the, the ones that I want to sort of look at. If you look at the major experiences that are, you know, the wonderful content marketing experiences that we always reference at shows, at conferences, the ones that everybody sort of puts slides up and talks about. Very few of them, if any of them, are actually sort of the result of some major buyer's journey mapping with the whole complexity of the content mapped against that thing and create. No, what they did was they created some amazing experience that built an audience and then they went, great, this is where this belongs, right? This is where this portfolio, this product belongs in the buyer's journey. And we will put money, resources, bandwidth, all the stuff into it to make it a successful thing. And then it will contribute to the business. We may not even be sure how just yet, but it will contribute to the business. And so that, taking it from that perspective, from like a product development perspective, I think can be so much more advantageous than trying to build this thing up from a thousand weeds that grow around and trying to micro-decide what's going to happen at any one step of the buyer's journey. That makes for a great process. It makes for a great audit, and it makes for a great way to sort of set a foundation for where we are in the business, but it doesn't necessarily set the stage for building something remarkable and amazing. That, that's why actually small businesses have the advantage over yeah, large companies. I think that's Because large companies have all these products, millions of products or SKUs, whatever you want to call it, and they're trying to, to, to create a new process. You know, and you say what fit, you know, you're, you're forcing content into this marketing process. Right. That's exactly instead right. Of, instead of just, hey, we don't even have a defined marketing process yet. Here's what we want to do. Let's just create an amazing audience, uh, amazingly valuable audience, and then 
see what happens. That's like, right. And small businesses can take that leap. Yeah. And that's why most of our examples are smaller companies. Yeah. Because they don't have the complex content marketing challenges that these big companies well, do. Well, they also don't have to. the culture. Yeah. Jeez. And they also don't have to solve for this challenge that I see consistently in larger enterprises, which is the, we already did it, so it should, you know, it's, a, it's already a sunk cost thing. Um, which is this idea that we already have a group creating all this content over here, and they've been doing it for two years. And what you're telling me is that we have to jettison that whole thing and start over. Or we have to jettison that whole thing and put all our focus over here, but that's going to hurt their feelings, or that's going to cause them to be mad, or that's going to cause them to have a lack of purpose in their department. And it's like, you know, if we continually do things because that's the way it's always been done, that's that's when you get this sort of create something mediocre just because everybody else is already doing something. And and that's we that's where big the bigger enterprises the larger more complex siloed enterprises really have to shift because if they don't do that they're just going to continue to grow this giant weed filled field that's, that that will do nothing for them ultimately you know what my son would call that what? he would say time to call the ambulance <laughs> <laughs> the ambulance ambulance time right. to call it I'm sorry. Do we have any more articles? We, we, we do. We, we, we do. I'm going to, I'm going to shift over and, um, because we went, uh, we went a little long on that story here. Um, and I'm actually going to shift over to, uh, everybody get your drinks up and ready to go. Native advertising. Ding, ding, ding. Um, the American Society of Magazine Editors. Um, I get, and I want to get your take on this because this is something that has really just, uh, I don't know a lot about. Uh, I guess they have standards that have barred magazine editors forever for working on advertorial content, and they've now softened that approach with a new set of guidelines. Um, they also ditched the association's longtime ban on cover ads, which we've talked about on this show before. What did you think about this? Well, I, it's interesting um, that they're trying. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts on it. Yeah. What I, 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 I don't agree with it, actually. I, I think that – so basically, in general, if I'm getting the gist of this right, and correct me, I've read this a couple times. Right. What they're saying that is an editor that works for a publication can work on a native advertising program, but it can't be in the existing set of what they cover. Right. They, it, it has to be like – so if you're covering a, a, a certain area – and there are marketers and companies that may be listed in that area. You can't do any native advertising for those types of companies. You have to do it for another group. But you can do it now. Is that is that what you're reading? That's you, I guess you... yes. I, th I think you know I didn't really understand sort of the previous guidelines, but the, as I understand the change, that's exactly how I understand. Well, the I change. think the previous guidelines were around. Hey, look, if you're working on journalism type pieces, you can't do advertorial. You can't do native advertising. Now they're saying no, you can do it. But you can't work in the same field because there's a conflict of interest there. But isn't My that kind of isn't that kind of the point? I mean, it, <laughs> you know what I mean. If I'm a marketer and I want to put my native ad or my article in somebody else's publication, don't I want to target a publication that's exactly like the audience I want to try and target? Yes, that's where I don't think that this this is this is this iteration of the rule. I think needs to evolve and change because let, let me give you an example so the greatest when i worked at penton in the, you know, these b2b niches the the greatest editors out there they went and made calls with the salespeople to marketers you know what they did they built really good relationships with a lot of marketers 
So there's a there's an inherent conflict of interest. I mean, that's what you struggle with as an editor. You build relationships, and then you have to write on the industry. I don't see why you can't do what the New York Times did and just make that a second. Hey, if you're going to work on native advertising programs, I think for the most part that's what you work on. I think, And I think New York Times has a different group, and that's what – I think the Wall Street Journal does this as well. They have a different group of journalists, of editors, of writers that work directly with marketers because that's a skill in and of itself. Right. If you, some journalists are not really good at working with marketers. I don't know if that. that. I don't know if that's a thing or people know this. (laughs) Yeah, they're not very good at it, but some are very good at it. That's right. And it takes a little bit of back and forth to get used to it because you have to. How do you tell a compelling story when we know that the people paying for this they need to see certain goals and stuff come out of that? I I get that. I I think it needs to be separate. I I honestly don't care. I mean. A publication is going to do whatever they want to do, depending on what um, and what this comes from uh, the American Society of Magazine Editors. So I totally get it. They're trying to update their guidelines because native advertising is here. Uh, the publishers around the world, media companies said, hey, we're going to do it. Uh, they've seen the low hanging fruit. They're going to go after it. You've, we've got budgets opening up around native advertising. So it's a thing. It's a thing now. We got to do something. Yeah. I think it's a mistake to say, oh, okay, now you're an editor, you're a journalist, you can work on native, but, but you can't really work on it. Now, if you're in a B2B market, you can't even make that claim. You can't say, oh, you can work on these and not these because it's a whole industry. You can't pick and – I don't think you can cherry pick. I, I mean you can cover certain areas. You can say, okay, I'm going to cover – Email marketing and social media marketing instead of marketing automation. But you know what? A lot of the times those things start working together and like, oh, now I'm working with a different – I can't work with that advertiser now. Or I can't do that story because I got a conflict of interest. There's – just make it easy. Just say, you know, this is what you do well because you can communicate with marketers and still tell an effective story. And this is what you do well. You're a reporter. You're going to go out and dig up these stories. And that's that. That's right. That's what I think. That's right. And I think that's the right way to approach it, too, because then from a it makes it really clear from a marketer's perspective of what's what's available. Right. Because you're you're really you're letting the magazine sort of set the rules about the way they're going to engage with marketers, uh, advertisers that will want to place content within the publication. And you're really setting the boundary. You know, it's a, it's really a local rules rules, right? You know, that's, that's, and I think that's the, the, the right way to do it because as we've talked about on the show many times, there's a vast difference between somebody like, um, well, we'll get to this in a second, you know, talking about somebody like a BuzzFeed or, uh, you know, an entertainment type of magazine doing a native advertising post versus somebody doing um, like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal doing a native advertising piece. And the rules should be different, they, you know, they, and probably will be different appropriately so. Well, the, the big, I think the biggest issue is if I'm writing a story on behalf of the brand, the media brand, my goals – are different than if I'm doing a story of on course. behalf of a paid advertiser. That's right. Getting your head around that is not easy. It's it is it is very very difficult in my experience to just switch and say, "Oh, this is not really on behalf of the media brand. This is really on behalf of our paid advertiser. I got to take a different approach with this." Which is why when we were when I was at Penton Custom Media, we had we had we didn't employ the writers from the brands. We had a whole different group of freelancers, stringers, contractors, editors, journalists that worked directly with the brands. Yeah. And we facilitated that. 
It's it's just yeah, I think they're getting into territory. Well, what do you think about very, this? It's very hard to manage. The, what do you think about this this story? The the one that also came out this week, and we'll put the link in the show notes as well about BuzzFeed. This was, I guess, got a little viral actually. Um, that came out that BuzzFeed this week. They went through, and I love the way Mashable. This the link comes from Mashable dot com, by the way, which said basically BuzzFeed this week deleted more posts that some smaller websites publish in a year. Um, Isn't that something? And they published, you know, they deleted a thousand posts for, and then they listed all the reasons, ranging from technical errors um, to duplicated work, which gets to exactly what we talked about last week with. Um, Google and actually reducing the size of your website. Copyright issues, a couple of them were that. And then the smallest number, they said three, a total of three posts. So, I mean, an infinitesimally small percentage of what they deleted is, and they based, they deleted it based on, quote, advertiser complaints. And I guess the world went nuts that they actually deleted three posts over advertiser complaints. So coming from your world and what you just talked about, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, you know what? That's been going on forever. I mean, come on. This is like they're treating it like this is a new thing. This has been going on forever. And and uh, it, it gets more publicity because it's BuzzFeed and the fact that it's digital. I mean, we used to we used to have to print, uh, figure out what we're going to do once something was in print. It's like, oh, my God, somebody took offense to it. What do we do? And, of course, you had the salesperson involved and like it, all this other. This happens all the time. The point that I think needs to be made when you look at BuzzFeed retracting their these posts that made that what was it Hasbro and right. Microsoft yes. or something they yep. were yeah, Microsoft they were was upset. Remember, Microsoft yeah. was upset about it. What do you know? Um, <laughs> so I think that what you have to recognize is this is why brands have the advantage. Not only do they, not only do brands like your Dells, like your Microsofts, like your right. Hasbros, like your Red Bulls, have more money to spend. The, on this, more funds to spend on publishing or content marketing. But the fact is, they don't have advertiser complaints. They don't have two masters to serve. They don't have to serve the audience and the people paying That's for the right. content at the same time. That's why we've always said for the last 10 years, we've been talking about this, where brands just have a much easier road because they only have to focus on audience uh, on content the audience wants. Exactly. If I'm a BuzzFeed, every time I've got to ask the question, well, is this going to... Is somebody in in our paying audience going to be upset about this? So the point the look, it's is going to continue to happen. Every brand needs to deal with this. Uh, I'm sorry, every media brand because they're getting paid by the dark side to make this stuff happen, and it's just a matter of what, you know what happens. This is why brand, I think this is why in ten years the majority of your media brands, so called media brands, will be. Marketers, yeah. Well, and it's funny going because to be the resources. We talked about this, whatever it was, five or six or ten shows ago, where we talked about what it was at. Uh, f- uh, correct me here. It's it was at Verizon and the and the sugar, oh sugar string, yeah, sugar string yeah. with the with and, and we said you know basically they didn't have the guts to keep it going and we and we were having this discussion about in an interesting way they actually have more freedom because they could have said. They could have taken the position, you know what, we're not going to talk about net neutrality on this. We're going to cover the news, but we're not going to cover that. And they don't have to, right? They don't – you know, I think what happens is, is that, that, that the mistake that brands are making in many cases is that they're looking at these news operations or publishing operations that they're standing up, and they think that they actually have to conform to the same rules and regulations that – have been around forever for the the media property publications, 
and they don't because of that because of exactly what you just said they don't have to serve two audiences they only have to serve the one which is sort of their customers and they can have a distinct point of view that quite frankly now you may get crap for that you may get called out on social media for that for only you know for being biased or for only not covering anything that's embarrassing to you and you may decide as a business that that's either the right road or the wrong road the point is is that it's your decision you get to make it it is your property and that's the real difference here is is that you don't have to conform to something that may not fit for your goals and your business well, I would like to see, I mean, even BuzzFeed just updated their, their editorial guidelines that said, look, we are going, it's content first, it's audience first. We're not going to bend to the, to the whims of our advertisers. But yet here's three, <laughs> right. three, exactly. three articles here's three that they examples had to pull. I mean, BuzzFeed yeah. is really trying to move in, into the, we are a reputable, I mean, I could see, I think we talked about this a couple shows, shows ago. I think that in five years, you could put BuzzFeed up there with the, a reputable, yeah. Media property, which is a little scary, yeah, but it's absolutely possible. It's almost like, you know, we're into the, you know Back to the Future 2015, and we're seeing all these weird <laughs> things happen. Like, oh my gosh, I'd never like. It's National like that Enquirer casino could it's, be well, the it's, source for news. It's like that casino where Biff works, right? That's that's the, that's the sort of Buzzfeed that giant casino where 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 Biff is the manager. Exactly. Um, so well, speaking I, of valuable. Yeah advertisers and valuable, um, wonderful things that are happening and somebody that we would never, ever, ever, ever consider deleting. We have a lovely sponsor we should talk about. Absolutely. So uh, the good folks at Widen Again, uh, we love them so much uh, that they are again sponsoring this old marketing. This year, this week, we have a new offering. Oh my gosh. uh, Called I know. It's called Digital Assets Should Be Agile, Not Fast. How agile teams, assets, and processes create collaborative content, better brands, and faster content marketing. That's an amazing title. You know what? Did you write that title? <laughs> is that your title? It Again, is. It I is. don't know uh, where you find all the free time, my friend, but this was written by Robert Rose. Oh, no. And, uh, and is actually, uh, it's a fantastic primer. I've, I've read it. I believe it's a fantastic primer for how to integrate Agile processes into your marketing framework with a lot of which a lot of people don't do and and you know uh, and you probably would recognize this and, and I think you've said agile is a term that all marketing kids are dancing to these that's days. Right. When I re- when I read that, by the way, I knew you wrote it because that's <laughs> something you would say. But what often gets lost in translation is the d- distinction between being fast and being truly agile. So this right. is a really really amazing piece of content that you have to download right now. Uh, you can download it at. Uh, bit.ly slash widen dash agile dash assets. And if you can't remember that, just go to thisoldmarketing.com, go to the show notes and you can download it. But bit.ly slash widen, W-I-D-E-N dash agile dash assets. Uh, really, really love um, the report here that you did, Robert. Um, is there anything? I mean, you wrote it. Did you have anything else it's, that you want to add? You know, on? I, I actually, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with it because you know, I mean, really, what it speaks to is that you know, every marketing department I visit these days seems to be moving at a faster, faster, faster clip. And the difference is, is that marketing departments are often mistaking fast for quick, right? So fast is a measurement of speed. And quick is a measurement, uh, or excuse me, fast is a measurement of time, and quick is a measurement of speed. And so, if you look and you say, "Look, we can be deliberate about making decisions. We can actually think about what we're doing here and slow down and simplify what we're doing 
but we need, we need to be able to do things quickly. We need to be able to do things in an agile way, not necessarily fast, not necessarily without thought. But when we move, we need to be able to move very, very quickly. And that's just a reorganization of how our structures and marketing and the way we manage digital assets are in the business, not necessarily about how fast we're running around and doing things. And that's the real difference. It's, it's interesting that the, the whole idea, and by the way, for those of you who don't know, Wyden, a marketing technology company focused on how to handle digital assets, we're, we're seeing as more and more of these marketers are creating more and more content. I mean, f- figuring out how you're going to do this from a digital asset standpoint is really critical. So yeah, absolutely important stuff. Uh, download the paper. Uh, thanks again to our friends at Wyden for making this happen. And uh, there we go. Thank you, Wyden. Thank you. Thank you very much for my shoes and my glasses. It is now time for your favorite part of the show, folks. It is our rants and raves sections where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave, something that makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside like we have found our shoes or something that makes us just sad. And so I'm going first um, because I have this old marketing this week. And I have a bit of a rave and a rant, and I'm starting out with my rant, and then I'm going to sort of merge into my rave. And it comes from two articles. Um, The first comes from Wall Street Journal. Um, It's written by a guy by the name of Thomas Davenport. Uh, He's a very distinguished professor at Babson College, research fellow at MIT, uh, business and director for Research International Institute of Analytics, and a senior advisor to Deloitte Analytics. He's a technical guy, and he writes for the CIO uh, column in the Wall Street Journal, and his article uh, is entitled, What Automation Will Do to Marketing and Marketers. Um, and then the second article that I'm going to speak to is comes from CMS Wire this week, and it asks the question, is there a future in content marketing? And they're related. Um, in the Davenport piece, the piece from Wall Street Journal, he talks and speculates about what marketing activities might be automated in the future. And he speaks from sort of being a CIO, a technology and analytics focused person. And he basically says that traditional non-digital marketing activities are increasingly being chipped away at by automation. He talks about how television advertising, the mainstay for many large companies, uh, is moving toward programmatic buying. He talks about how um, the creative um, uh, space is actually now being more automated. Um, he talks about how inbound calls are being matched with software um, to get to the agents most likely to be able to answer their question and all this kind of stuff. And he basically makes this case to say and really make a case in the future that creative efforts themselves are being assisted by partial automation, which I don't buy at all. He says the creative branding and being automated because decisions about things like A-B testing are, guess what, automation. Um, He says high-level decisions about marketing are being made by marketing executives, of course. He says, but he says those decisions are usually, and this is a quote, usually being done with software. I couldn't disagree with that more. And he says that marketing can't handle the shift to digital analytics and automation by themselves. They need marketing technologists to help them. Okay, I agree with that. We've talked about that. Scott Brinker, the marketing technologist, marketers in many cases need help with technology. Okay, so save that for a minute because I completely don't agree with that. We talked about that on this show, the sort of the move toward um, the idea of the algorithm and, and technology and data here. 
So the, the CMS wire piece, and this is where I want to rave a little bit, um, from Dennis Shaw, who's the director of content marketing at DNN, which is, used to be called .NET Nuke and is now DNN. Um, he actually wrote this piece where he talks about content that was sort of automatically written by a bot. He references a New York Times article called If an Algorithm Wrote This, How Would You Even Know, where he talks about content that's being written like summaries of basketball games and summaries of things. And he says that much of the content he publishes these days in his job is analogous to a game recap, like summaries from events, summaries from webinars, industry insights, content roundups, etc. And he says, one day a computer write, might write my entire article here. My, but, and so he ends up by saying, and he finishes the article by saying that humans will really ultimately win. Um, or may ultimately win. And he brings in a couple of other people that are friends of the show, like Barry Feldman, who really firmly believes in the creative process here. And that's where I am with both automation on the Davenport from the Wall Street Journal and the Dennis story on content. It's not just writing. If, and that's a great test, by the way. If a computer can create it, it's not differentiated for you. End of story. That is it. It has no distinct point of view. If you're spending your time creating content that a computer can create, that should tell you more about how you spend your time rather than what capabilities a computer has. And the same is true with strategy, and this is why I disagree with the Davenport article so much. Automation now, data, the idea of technology is in many cases making marketers lazy. This goes to my rave last week that I talked about Douglas Rushkoff in the book. If we look at technology as a means to simply make life and our jobs more predictable, we inherently become more predictable and thus uninteresting. If we're going to remain interesting or remarkable, it's the balance of the creative, the artistic, the conflicted, the serendipitous, the mistaken, the unpredictable, and the data of automation that results from that effort that helps us continue to stay on track toward a goal. That balance has to be maintained, or are we just going to become robots? We're going to be maintaining our bell curve average, and man, I got to tell you, that is the most uninteresting career that I can even think of. Marketing automation data is not a goal. It is simply a more efficient way of helping us, the unpredictable, noisy, artistic, unique, opinionated people of the world, reach that goal. End of Marant. That's deep. <laughs> I had, a, I had the, the lighter app on my uh, iPhone going while you were going into oh that, God. and I was swaying back and forth. Were you were you saying play Freebird instead of just just, just <laughs> exactly. shut up and Freebird? I actually listen to music while you're talking anyway. So oh, nice. There me. you go. Very it nice. That's me. probably a better no, use that of was, time. No, uh, that was wonderful. I have a very quick um, that commentary piece. I got some, some rants and raves in this one. This is an article from our friends at Digiday. It's called Time Inc.'s Joe Rip on quality content will always prevail. And basically, the new CEO of, uh, or the, the CEO of the newly public Time Inc., Joe Rip, uh, Rip has a QA uh, with the, uh, the folks at Digiday, which I, there's a couple interesting parts that I wanted to go over. The one is he goes into quite a bit of detail about the fact that he believes that they can start selling consumers things. Which, of course, we've talked about this many times that we believe that the saving grace for media properties is to actually turn into brands, like traditional brands that we would think of, that sell things. You've built a lawyer. It's just the opposite. It's completely the opposite model of what we talk about with content marketing, where most organizations right. have products and services they need to sell, and they're trying to build a loyal audience in order to sell those better. The the uh, media properties, like a time, already has that, and then they're going to sell consumers things. Now... That I agree with. The one I don't agree with is it talks about the idea that 
and I guess I wanted to get your take on this after I'm done with this, the whole idea that thinks that micropayments is going to be something that they can do on oh. all titles. I don't know about that. I mean, I could be completely wrong, but I think that some... Since 2002? Well, I, you know, it's interesting, right? I'm trying to think of, I mean, think about Time or think about Sports Illustrator, think about People Magazines, think about these brands that they have. Now, when I think about Netflix and what Netflix is doing, and of course, Netflix just announced last week that they're all this new original programming. We found out that there's a whole new reboot going on for Full House, which just made my heart leap. Not. Um... (laughs) I was gonna. Say. <laughs> oh no! But yeah, I mean, they're 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 focused. I mean, they're able to charge whatever they charge ten bucks a month for content. They're monetizing the content directly and theoretically, you know, monthly micro payments, if you will. So they're doing it. So it's possible to be done. Could time get create content that's so valuable? I mean, if I think about Sports Illustrated. I think that it could be done because I mean I look at I'm friends with on Facebook with with Tom Webster from Edison Research and he always links to Grantland posts. Uh, Grantland's owned by ESPN and he says right. I would flat out pay for Grantland. It's free, but he would pay and he said, he links to an article that said I would pay for this stuff. Now, is it possible? Sure, they could do that, but I still think that um, the the opportunity to sell consumers things is much bigger than saying, hey, how can we get a little bit of money off of each piece of content? I think that's a very antiquated model. So that's my, my rant on this one. My last part about that is, and I want to get your take on this as well. He says that quality content will always prevail. I completely disagree with that. There isn't, just because you have amazing content, you have to do I mean, that's kind of table stakes, right? <laughs> you that's have right. to have that today. You have to do all the other stuff to get that found. Like, how many things have you and I, we've gone into some of these audits and discovery sessions with these brands, and they have some really amazing content. Unbelievable like, content. Original, yeah. one-of-a-kind pieces of content that nobody's been able to find. That's right. So quality – so. Not, I mean, Time has got great distribution assets. They're able to do a lot of different things with their content. But you cannot just say that quality content – Will Trump? Because it will not. No, it won't. <laughs> it won't. Yeah, you no. just have to. It's have just like that. a quality. Well, it's the, it's this. It's the exact. You know, the corollary is is that a great product will always prevail, and that's not true either, right? I mean, so Betamax is a great, you know, lesson in history. There, the the better technology does not always win. Um, it is very often about the the you know the least expensive or the faster to market or the standard that becomes the standard the fastest that that becomes you know that becomes the leading market it has n- little to do in fact m- many times with with quality you can talk about how quality is sustaining and then now we get into a Clayton Christensen sort of you know discussion about sustainable innovation versus you know disruption and and there's a there's a real thing to talk about there but i think you know content is going to follow a similar path which is if we start to look at it as a product as some that we create as part of our business with that side of methodology behind it, that's when we can start to really look at its value over time and really judge it as such, right? And it's not so if we look at it like a product, it deserves all those things that you talked about investment, promotion, you know, continual sort of attention to it and all those things, as opposed to just a simple ad campaign where because it's great, we'll stick it out there and somebody will find it eventually. That's and that's the real difference. So, yeah, it. it I'm just totally at a loss for the – and I'll just finish with the whole micropayment thing. I really believe that for the most part, not totally because there's, there's – it's, it's never black and white. There's a lot of gray here. But for the, for the most part, I think that 
If you are a media brand and you're trying to charge for your content, there will be a competitor that will come along that will Absolutely. give that away and do for it cheaper. free. Right. And that's what, yeah, by the way, exactly. association model, member associations yeah, used to differentiate right. themselves and by the that's fact right. that they had all this premium content. And then they've all yeah. been coming to us saying, oh, my God, nobody signed up for membership because so they, they don't see enough value in their content. Why is that? Because they right. can get it for free somewhere for else. For free, yeah. That's exactly right. Come on. Oh, you you have a hey, <laughs> I, I don't even know what your this old marketing is. You have a good one. So this this is I have to say when I found this um and it was I mean, when you talk about going into the Indiana Jones warehouse, um I went into my own little Indiana Jones warehouse and I did some research here. It's for a, another piece that I'm writing way down the road, but I found this example and I just I fell in love with it. It is such and a great example. Okay, so here it is. 1914. Take you all the way back to 1914. And there's a magazine. And you, I cannot find the magazine anywhere except for Google Books, speaking of Google, and, and all the wonderful thing they're doing to digitize really, really old magazines, periodicals, etc. So the link in the show notes that we're going to have are going to be to a basically a deep link into a Google digitized book here. But it's the only thing I could find. The magazine itself was called The Graphic Arts, a magazine for printers and users of printing. And after reading an entire issue of it, um, which is just fascinating to read this, it's a trade magazine for advertising. It is 1914's version of you know a trade magazine um, for people who create content in printing for advertising purposes. It's how to use graphic design. It's case studies. It's all this wonderful thing. So this it ran from 1911 to 1914. Um, and in one of the issues in, in 1914, one of the latter issues – there's an article, and the article is called How a Manufacturer Uses a House Organ. Joe, had you ever heard of the term house organ before? Like I'm playing an organ in my house? No, it's no. It's, it's, so I guess a house organ is what used to be an in-house magazine. It used to be a magazine that was created back in the day that educated customers instead of trying to sell to them. They called it a house organ. And so the article is called How a Manufacturer Uses a House Organ. And so this article is by this woman, uh, Meryl A. Wood, and she's with a company called the Caslon Company, which in another magazine, I, I did some research on this Caslon Company, um, a magazine called The Printer's Inc., talks about how the Caslon Company was in Cleveland, and they had started up this ad agency with a stock of, at this point, $25,000, and they're handling the advertising accounts of Chase Motor Trucks, Scientific Heater, the Star Drilling Machine Company, and the one that I'm going to talk about here, the Sewer Pipe Company of Akron. And so they're a B2B marketing agency, this Caslon company. And Merrill, assumably, works for them. And she's writing this case study in this magazine, in this graphic arts magazine, which is itself content marketing. So anyway, so she's writing this uh, case study about this American sewer pipe company. And she says, in 1914, and this is from the article itself where she's writing, she says, in 1914, most sewer pipe, it was made of concrete. An American sewer pipe, they had this new thing that they called Amco segment block, and it was made of clay. And there was this new technology for making sewer pipe. And they knew it was going to be this uphill battle to make engineers aware of this new approach and how it was more efficient, it was lower cost, it had longer life, it was more sanitary. And so they got a mailing list of 5,000 names of all the city engineers um, across the area, and they compiled it all up, and they mailed out the first issue of this new magazine that they called Amco Segment Block. It was a magazine. And they basically mailed it out to all of these, basically, people, these uh, uh, city engineers, 
And in this magazine, they talk about how the uh, you know it was human interest content, it was content about the new technologies, and it was um, about the new you know new scientific approaches to how to build sewer pipe. It was basically a magazine, a thought leadership magazine of what was going on in the manufacturing and construction of sewer pipe, their technology and others. And then the cool thing is that this case study actually is all about the the big problem they have. How are they going to measure this content? How would they measure this initiative? And so what they did was they put a postcard enclosure into each magazine, and the cards were these three-by-five mailer cards, which you could just simply stick in a mailbox, and it would mail back to them, uh, the American sewer pipe people. And it basically said there was a checkbox. I want you to answer X question. And all of the questions were referred to in articles throughout the magazine. And so basically they measured their success by which articles in the magazine got the most check marks and mails in the mailed cards back. So they sent out 5,000, and the interesting thing is it went the 1914 equivalent of like viral. So trade journals started quoting this magazine. There was conventions that started quoting it in speeches. There was this cool new technology talking about this new clay, Amco segment block, and they grew the subscription over the first year from 5,000 to 8,000. And as the state case study says, the pages of this magazine were beautiful. They handled it in such a way where all of everything was kept alive with human interest stories. And they put in for the one of the first times photographs. They helped illustrate all these concepts. So basically, they created compelling content. They used infographics. And by the way, they put in all the letters that they got from the city managers or city engineers into the magazine itself. So they utilized user-generated content from their subscribers. Just an awesome example of a B2B agency talking about a content marketing program in a trade journal, talking about their success, which of course itself is content marketing, talking about a content marketing example for American Sewer Pipe, and all of this in 1914. Just an awesome example of this old marketing. You get the 75th episode research award for, for it that was little... Fun. That was it was fantastic. totally fun. It was totally fun to read that that article. It was it was really, really... Just just to read the sort of case study here in 1914, and she's talking about a measurement for this advertising was really going to be it, but we needed to make it educational, not salesy. It's just so awesome. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm going to have to... Get, so you're, you're going to... We have a deep link to that? We do. We have a deep link to both. The link to the Caslon uh, Company's uh, piece in Printers, Inc. magazine, and we have a deep link to the case study um, that she wrote in the, in the Graphic and Arts magazine. By the way, and you can go up and down and read much of the both magazines and just be fascinated if you're a history buff like me. Fantastic. So we'll include those in the, uh, in the notes on thisoldmarketing.com. And, uh, and I think that's it. So what, what do you got going on yeah. this week? I got uh, this week. I'm heading off to lovely New York City. I'm hoping April in New York is as it always is advertised to be. And I am going to see our friends at uh, King Content and do a little talk um, at a dinner there, which uh, is also with uh, NewsCred, the folks at NewsCred. So I'm there. Um, and then I head off to Montreal uh, in the beginning of next week. We'll have to figure out where we're recording the show. I'll be in Montreal at a Cisco Velocity event where I'll get to see the lovely Jay Bear and Gary Vaynerchuk and a few other folks. And, and I'm speaking on the new marketing organization in 2020. And that's uh, a whole session I'm doing. Yeah, that's very so Nice. So I'm doing some traveling this week. How about you? A little bit of travel. Um, I have, uh, let's see, tomorrow night I'm headed to Springfield, Ohio uh, for a keynote at Interact 15. This is the third year they're doing the event down there, um, which is most, it's heavy, heavy technology and manufacturing in that area. So I'm going to 
break out one of my new uh, speeches on Content Inc., which should be fun. So we'll do nice. that that keynote, and then uh, and then I believe I'm traveling for the next six weeks, maybe, and then wow. hopefully shutting it All down right. second week of June, like I did last year, and going nowhere. So very nice. yeah, I think you and I very are pretty nice. much on the road for the. <laughs> Yeah, well, weeks. I have my I have my house move coming up here. Oh. Um, that is that is that is going to be the beginning part of May for me. But then after that, yeah, I'm on the road almost nonstop. I where you leave off in June, I pick up for sure. So I'll be I'm on the road until you know for June and July for sure. And then just a real quick a little uh, little uh, love note out to our our good friend, our VP and uh, and publisher Peter Loyable and and Gail. They they just had a. Woo! A new beautiful baby, so we're Absolutely. very excited about them, and he'll be off for the next couple of weeks, uh, rightfully so, to get everything in order. So, uh, very, very happy to include a new member of the uh, Content Marketing Institute family. So. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations, my friend Peter. Okay, folks, that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And you know, we love those story ideas, folks. Tweet us up, hashtag this old marketing. Get us, uh, get us those stories, you know, go, or corrections as thank you, hat tip to Bernie there. And if you've got a question, you can also send an email, thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number 75, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All those links are on the show notes that we make available at thisoldmarketing.com every Saturday. And do tune in next week when we're going to hear Joe say, I cannot abide useless people. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.